Hey, Peppin. Yo, yo. Uh, did you hear the news story lately about the euthanasia? Oh, wow. That, 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 that's kind of dark. You mean like the color of their skin? Or? No, no, just a, just the topic in general. Uh, I, I don't know if we understand each other. I, I think we need to talk. Welcome back. So glad you could join us. My name's Meter. I'm sitting here with a couple of people who I enjoy spending time with. One of them is named Nathan. And otherwise known as Pepin. Oh, Pepin. And, uh, of course, we have Brienne here, who otherwise known as B. Thank you. Absolutely. And um, today... I think we're going to talk about euthanasia. I don't know if, Pepin, you understand what topic I was getting at. So this is like where doctors will kill... Or, okay, They will release people from their suffering. No. What? You, you know, if they're in immense pain. Let's say someone is like undergoing lots and lots of chemotherapy. And, you know, they could keep going, but it's going to be like another 10 years of hell. I was talking about, like, how in China you can't have too many uh, kids, like like the youth in Asia. Um, I like your topic better. Uh, Let's talk about murder. Okay. okay. Oh, murder, though? Okay, so euthanasia. Uh, somebody give us the definition. Uh, I would say it is kind of assisted suicide facilitated by a doctor and it's under conditions of the person who's being killed is in some kind of pain or jeopardy. I have to concur. It's the release of human life based on their current health deterioration. So the doctor is murdering somebody. Doctor death. By by legal definition, the doctor is murdering somebody. I would not say it's murder. Um, by legal definition... Let's not talk about legalities, because there's different laws, different places. We need to talk about the legalities. Well, because we because legality, you know, legally, it's defined as murder, let's say. Yes, okay. But you could say, should it be murder? And that's another topic. Also, absolutely, it, it's more of a thing that's defined as, you know, murder. It's not necessarily murder in itself. Okay. But introducing the topic, we I think it's vital that we bring up that... There are, this is a heavily debated thing. People, a lot of people feel really passionately about it, um, be it for themselves, be it as a doctor, be it as a family member of somebody who does want to partake in euthanasia, et cetera, et cetera. But there is a legal aspect to it as well, where if you take it strictly by the letter of the law, the doctor is committing murder. That's not what we're focusing on today, but it is an aspect that exists. And that's the only thing that I wanted to, to bring up about the legality of it. Right, right. Though I would object to it being – so if you, have, if you have the definition of murder, which is to kill someone against their will, then by that definition – let's say that's just the legal definition of murder – then it doesn't meet that criteria. But what they do is they say there's a criteria of euthanasia, which they put under the place of murder. So they classify it as an act of murder when it's you – know, not against the person's will. So th that's the only aspect I would kind of uh, argue against, you know. Because to the letter of the law, it's not technically murder. But as far as the law is applied, and as far as they kind of put it together, it is murder. Uh, I, I was unaware that the law takes into account the person, the person being killed's will. I'm pretty sure murder is taking somebody's life regardless of will. No, no. So the distinction there would be so there's like killing someone. Killing someone is not necessarily against their will. It's kind of a, there's no preference involved. Whereas murder, there is preference involved. So the person who is being killed does not want to die, while the person who is killing wants to kill them. There's also homicide, whereas the person who dies doesn't want to die, obviously. But the person who does the killing doesn't necessarily want to kill them. It's more of an accident. Manslaughter. Yeah, man manslaughter. And also there, yeah, manslaughter is a correct term there. And there's also like, say, 
the difference between rape and lovemaking is the fact that, you know, with rape, Consent. one person wants to have sex, the other person doesn't. With, you know, consensual sex, both people say, yeah, sure. So... Uh, when we're talking about, I think what we really want to delve into is the ethical dilemma around this, not the legal dilemma. But to wrap up the legal dilemma, um, is it legal to perform euthanasia currently in the United States? Not on people. Okay. Um, that's an awesome distinction in itself. Do you want to go into that at all? Well, because that might lead us into the ethics. Absolutely. Well, Pepin's talking when he was going through the definitions and I came up with manslaughter, which is the correct terminology. Um, The at will thing really stuck out because that's an argument that people who are against euthanasia goes and they just they attack ethically that, no, this isn't right. We need to have compassion. Well, why is it okay we can do it for animals when they really themselves can't always give consent? And that's compassion, yet when we're doing it for another human being, it's murder. Because there's a level of empathy and compassion necessary um, to when you have complete higher mental capacity over somebody or, or over something else that's alive, such as an animal. Um, an animal doesn't have the ability to communicate that, and an animal is a is of a lower level of intelligence. I just, and like a human has the distinction to be able to make that, or the ability to make that distinction of because how much humans pain can reason things out more than animals. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, I don't agree with that because you can go on a medical f- portion of that and look at the signs in an animal. You can look at the blood work. You can look at um, look at them just by watching the way they act because animals run so high on instinct that their actions are kind of blown up more than maybe what a human would do for their kind of range of emotions. If they're not feeling well, they're oh, not feeling well. Well, that could be mentally, that could be physically, that could be just about anything. But animals, really, it's on a higher level. They actually tell us more without telling us. And you can run all the tests to prove it. Mm-hmm. So what is the argument here exactly in that respect? So is it more ethical? Like, it seems like, it sounds like you're in favor of euthanasia. Is that correct? I am absolutely in favor of it yes so is your argument right there that the fact that animals show these signs so much more than humans that it's more ethical or it's it's the fact that they have these very outlying symptoms of Mm -hmm. you know needing to be released needing to be uh, let go that is even more justified in doing it yeah with against the argument when people are so against human euthanasia but they're like we got to be compassionate to animals because that's usually the in the people that I have dealt with, that's usually their strongest standpoint is animals. Look at the animals. We have to be compassionate. Well, we have to be compassionate to humans, too. And that's what they argue. So how come it's okay to euthanize an animal, but not a human show that same compassion? Because they actually hold in a lot of their arguments, animals higher than humans. So your argument is kind of the other way around in a way, or they're, or maybe they're equals. Equal. I see them as equal. Animals and humans are equal. See, the thing I don't get about this, I'm not very aware of these arguments, Mm -hmm. but the thing I wouldn't get about this argument with compassion being less, having more compassion with animals than with humans is that humans are actually capable of voicing their needs and concerns and their wants. Euthanasia on an animal is one thing because they actually can't say what it is. You know, that seems kind of controversial to me. It should be more controversial because they can't say, no, I don't want to die. Or they they can't say, don't don't do fucking do this to me. But the human is, you know, provided that they're in a rational state of mind, they can actually make this decision. And you actually know for certain, yeah, they want to die. They're in so much pain. Yep. I... Humans are much more complex, so the situation immediately becomes more complex because there's mental aspects, much, much deeper, deeper mental aspects, and the the body, the human body is much more complex, and 
the advances in science for humans compared to for animals is so much more vast that, you know, if they have another three years, there may be a breakthrough that saves their life if they don't give up now versus animals where there's not going to be much changing. You're going to see a change in a human, um, something that would save a human's life well before you'll see that same advancement for animals. And then the animals don't have that. They can't actively say like, I want to die. I want to, I want to kill myself or I want you to kill me. So everything that you're reading off of them is just straight, honest and true to what they're actually feeling. And if their brain is fucked up to the point where they're giving off symptoms that they need to die, then that's probably the humane thing to do in the first place. And that's why I think the argument is made that it's more humane to take an animal's life than it is to take a human's life because there's less complexity around it. There's less chance that they're, that this is going to be misconstrued in some way, exactly like you were saying, Brianne, because they, whatever they're showing is what they're feeling. So something about animals is that you know, as far as complexity goes, is they don't have as much to do as we do. So I've heard about stories, you know, it's not every story, but the stories about people who have debilitating diseases or debilitating uh, complexes, or they lose their eyesight or even have a color issue is dying and deaf, and they still live out meaningful lives. So even with these huge kind of hurdles, they can do that. But you have other animals, let's take, take a horse, for instance. If they break their leg... They can't live any meaningful life. They will have a suffering existence. And it's not like can't, uh, humans where they can kind of do other things. They can go with other aspects. They're just kind of stuck in this kind of thing they're not actually made for. And it's not like we're not, it's not like we're made for, you know, kind of having these kind of uh, unusual circumstances, you know, if, if we're blind, you know, living a blind life. But we can kind of cope with it better because we are more able to cope with it due to our minds. Right. Um, so, so, you know, Brienne's clearly passionately for euthanasia. Um, and Nate, you seem kind of like at the in-between where you're not really well versed on either, but you could make a rational judgment one way or the other based off of circumstances. Right, right. So the main factor for me is the person's state of mind. So if the person's state of mind is not sane or they're in a state of psychosis, it doesn't seem legitimate to perform any sort of euthanasia or whatever own medical procedure. So let's imagine someone is drunk, right? Mm-hmm. And they say, kill me now, kill me now. Well, they're, the prefrontal cortex isn't actually functioning with that person. It would be completely wrong to kill that person, just as it would be completely wrong to have sex with that person if you are not drunk yourself. So... You know, as far as that goes, you know, you got to make sure this person's in a good state of mind. And you could make the argument maybe that a person who is suffering this badly might make the decision poorly or make, make, make an irrational decision to kill me now because I'm just so much suffering so much when, you know, from the doctor's point of view, okay, this will just be another like month or two and we'll have you fixed up in a jiffy, right? So you have to take that into consideration because they might be in a lot of pain, but, you know, is this a rational point of view, which is another just a little thing right after that. Like, let's imagine that someone is walking across the street, right? And they're about to hit, get hit by the car. Well, it is completely justified to push them out of the way, mm-hmm. right? Now, pushing someone like that would normally be an act of violence, right? They could actually prosecute you, maybe sue you for that. Right. And win a lot of money. But in this instance, it's completely okay because this person, in a rational state of mind, after the fact, would say, yeah, I'm glad you did that for me. So, so I, I think that's kind of my stance on it. So, Meter's right. I'm passionately pro-euthanasia. And I think one of the um, arguments that I come up against a lot from people who are against it is the state of mind. Psychosis, that's not fair. Maybe they can't make that judgment call. And maybe their quality of life isn't that bad. And a lot of people act hotly to people who are pro-anything. Abortion, throwing that they react really hotly to that because that is a that that is a huge topic and a huge concern. But what a lot of people won't take the time to do in my experience is hear me out where I am on agreement with you. If someone is not mentally there, there's no reason for you to say, "Yep, I agree as the doctor." You know, absolutely that is 
that is killing. That is murder. Because that person's not okay mentally. Maybe they're okay physically. And like you said, they're in pain, but they're not there. So that's where you bring in a psychologist to assist. You bring in um, family members, people close to help discern that that's not a correct action. That's not a normal behavior in everyday life. They may not know medically, but they know when someone acts a certain way or something's kind of off. So to kind of help collect that data and then make the educational decision based on the data. That's almost that thought is almost scarier to me that if I was the person in the situation of requesting euthanasia and a family member was to decide whether I was in my right mind or not, let's say it's a vindictive family member that doesn't like me and or it's one that's heavily grieving and can't let go of me and would just state no, they're acting crazy just to prevent it from happening for their own selfish reasons. Wow. That is the story of my grandmother, actually. Um, my grandmother, when I was seven, passed in the hospital. She slid into a coma and her youngest son had all the rights. And he had just lost his wife two months before that. He was in no mental state to make a decision and he wanted her gone because she was in the coma for like 12 days doctors were kind of on the fence they were like but they were more like it eh, give it a little bit give it a little bit and he said no and a lot of the family members had to bring in and say hey he's not okay doctors don't let him make this decision and there was a daughter there and she too was close to the mother and and wanted you know hey no she needs to go she's She's not with us anymore. And then my dad was brought in, who was not close to my grandmother. In fact, they didn't get along. They did not like each other. And they said, okay, Brian, what, what's your opinion? And my mother, who was divorced from my father and close to my grandmother, said, please, Brian, just a couple more days. And my dad said, I agree. Neither one of my siblings are okay to make this decision she needs to let's let's wait to see she's been showing a little bit of progress give it a couple more days let's see what we can do she woke up two days later so i see where you're going with that and that and that's why you need more than one family member it, it has to be it has to be a group effort it really does from multiple sides but even then if you're going by the family members and this is a, a very you know Okay, so I want to start by saying that there are an infinite amount of circumstances right. and possibilities that we could that would all warrant different outcomes. Right. There's a there's an infinite amount of possibilities that would say yes, euthanasia should happen in that situation, and an infinite amount that don't. So what we'll do is we'll just tease out. We'll probably just go over a few scenarios and talk about those specific scenarios and and the the philosophical quandaries and ethical quandaries found within them. So in this one, so my issue with bringing family members in to make decisions in the case of the person being incapacitated and unable to make the decision themselves. And there's kind of that in between of, um, should we, should they, shouldn't they, um, pull the plug, that type of deal is if there's family members who aren't, who don't care about that person. I think the assumption that is being made when you say the family members should be brought in is that family members give a shit. And that's not always the case. Mm -hmm. um, m more times than not, it is. But sometimes it's not. Let's say this was somebody rich that nobody gave a fuck about within the family and they just all wanted them dead so they could get their inheritance. Like then that's an awful situation to bring them in because even if she is showing signs of progress, they're not going to care because all they care about is themselves and the money or getting rid of that person. To, to step back for a second, so in this instance, we're talking about someone in a coma, right? Mm -hmm. So let's imagine someone is not in a coma. In that kind of case, you know, the I don't think the input from the family members would be as needed. So like family input is great if someone can't make a decision themselves. But if, if they can make the decision, then you might just need the family members to verify that this person is in a sane state of mind, that they're acting normally. Yeah, that's what I was going towards, not... So, this reminds me of 
a thing with uh, was insurance claims. Mm-hmm. So insurance companies will have these kind of you know big long fill surveys. You know where lots of bubbles and asking questions and stuff, and it's a very long survey and it's, it's make sure there's no fraud involved and they're very simple questions. Now what ends up happening is that people who are trying to lie about it will usually end up failing the, the quiz mm-hmm. or people who are a little too perfect on it. They end up failing and they have this kind of weird rubric where they can figure out who's telling the truth and who's lying based off this kind of a psychoanalytical models. So I think that if you were to apply this test to someone who is you know, suffering and wants to be released or even to the family members who maybe perhaps have maligned intentions, I think you could catch out a lot of them, and this would kind of solve part of the issue. I think just ways to screen people. Nothing's going to be perfect ever, but... Well, that's why the team of psychologists, or, or, yeah, psychologists, not psychiatrists, should be involved, because they are trained to weed that out and look for that, and, and they're like that test, really. They help get those answers out. Yeah, and we could assume that if there was a natural psychologist looking at, you know, the family, they could see the family aspects and the family dynamics and to be well-versed in this. And they could say, okay, this, this family member is not in a state of mind to make that decision for them, you know, if they're in a coma. I want to kind of edit myself a little bit. I When I said family members should be brought in, it should not be the deciding factor by any means, but it should be used as a tool to help the psychologist and the doctor involved in the case. And again, like you said, it's a case by case basis. It's all we could sit here and do this all day, but they it should be a tool for them to help them come to that educated decision. In the instance of somebody going into a coma and there being no preparations made beforehand by the person in the coma, if I go into a coma, I, I want this person to make decisions for me. I agree. I think that the family members can be brought in and talk to psychiatrists and the doctor and they can all kind of talk and make decisions. And then the final decision needs to come down to the psychiatrist and or doctor because they're the healthcare professional and they don't have an emotional investment more than, you know, any human with empathy. But. I think if there's somebody, if they have like a a living will type deal where they're like, if I go into a coma, I'm incapacitated, I want this person to make decisions for me, they should be able to override the doctor in those situations because you're assuming that when they're making this this will of sound mind and body that they're trusting them to make the same decision that they would want made for themselves. Right, right. I think that's definitely a good point. And it's kind of interesting because if you're doing something with a lawyer, the lawyer has to word things in a very careful, legally worded way. And it's very, very impossible to misconstrue the intent. Right. Unless yeah. you're a, uh, a politician. We all seem to be pretty much on the same page on that. So I must springboard us in another direction now and say, um, so... Sometimes the decision is made when someone's in a coma to not pull the plug. And, you know, you made the argument earlier of a situation where in your own personal life where somebody came out of the coma, despite the fact that other people would have pulled the plug and they wouldn't be alive any any longer. So, like, they were given a second chance, basically. Mm -hmm. And it seems like you can draw the conclusion that that was the right decision to wait in that situation. Um. Well, when she came back, she didn't have a lot. To, she couldn't speak. She lost that functionality. So she had to write everything, and she even lost some of that functionality. So she kind of had to relearn it, and she was only back for a couple of days. She did thank my dad and said, at least I have the opportunity to say goodbye, but I want to go. So, uh, did he really make the right decision? I, she kind of, she didn't say, but uh, I don't think. Based off of what you just said, he she did say. Well, yeah. She, she wanted him. to go. Yeah. She thanked him and then she made the decision. She was and glad that she got the opportunity to say goodbye, but she was just, she wanted to go. It mm. was, so, I mean, there was, a, there was some good with it and... There was some bad. <laughs> now, I, I had a situation in my life where um, somebody close to somebody close to me f- fell into a coma and they didn't think he was ever going to come out. 
And then one day he just did. But at this point, he had severe brain damage and had to be in an institution and was living a pretty awful life at that point without, you know, uh, how did you phrase it earlier? Quality of life was poor. Yeah, with, with, with a poor quality of life. Um, and like, was that the right decision in that case? Like if if they come back and they have a, a poor quality of life and then they end up suffering more because you chose to keep them alive, there's I, I just want to bring the duality to in some situations it's the right choice and in some the same exact situation it could be the wrong choice. This is where it's really tough because it's the uh, hindsight bias. So mm-hmm. we can look at all the cases where you know someone is left to be in a coma or in a terrible state like that. And then they wake up and they're so happy and so glad and oh so I'm so glad you didn't actually uh, you know kill me off there, and then we see all those cases but we don't see the other cases where the person you know would have wanted to die or the cases where they are there for forty fifty sixty years and they don't wake up I don't think it's for that long but so there's that bias there and it's still very hard either very hard to dissect even being aware of that bias. Mm. I don't know I. And again, from my personal experience, we did hear her say, yes, you should have let me go. I wanted to go. I needed to go. Because what she explained to the adults who later explained to me, because I was too young, was she could hear everything. She was stuck. She couldn't, she wasn't here and she wasn't there. And she was there, but she wasn't there. And she was just trapped, and she the release had to come. It just it had to come for her. And she said, "You know, I want to go. Should have gone. Pull the plug." But what about the people who don't wake up? Yeah, and that's what Nate was bringing up. Yeah, with the with the forty, fifty, sixty years. And but and that's where I'm like, there's my argument for pro euthanasia because. They're stuck, according to my grandmother. But even if I don't look at that aspect, maybe I never had this experience. I'm coming out with this pro-choice of doing this. What quality of life do they have? They're hooked up to a breathing machine, most of them. They're they're hooked up to a feeding tube. There's no real brain activity. What quality of life are they really having? I think the argument would be that uh, in many cases they don't actually hear anything so in many cases right. there's nothing you know maybe every once in a while they have some kind of consciousness but it's just nothing so it's just kind of like sleeping you know you go to sleep and you wake up and then you know you're you're alive and then you have your quality of life so the whole in between isn't there now some people obviously it is but you know if personally myself let's say uh, I got put into a coma for say three years right mm-hmm. uh you know, if it's just like sleeping, I wouldn't mind that. You know, it's just like I wake up three years later. It's like okay, huh, that, that, that was that was weird. But if it was, it'd be totally different if I was awake for all those three years. That that would be really boring. But sleeping, the brain has activity, lots and lots of activity. There is no activity. Well, yeah, I don't mean like sleeping, like literal sleeping. Oh. I mean like just like no like. Have you ever had like a really deep sleep and you like close your eyes and you wake up? I've put out, been put under three different times and I do equate it to the loss of of time. Yeah. And they say, oh, it's just like you're sleeping. So, yes. OK. Yeah. Not, not literal sleeping. Just right. kind of like like that. It's just that loss of time. But you wake up and you're fine. If you've ever had anesthetics. <laughs> as it, oh, God, that's fucking weird. It's, yeah. It's just like you count, either count, wake up laughing or you wake up crying. Count to three. One, or, or actually, count backwards from ten, ten, nine, and then you just kind of like, I'm in another room. What? Yeah, yeah, because you lose that time or whatever. But you're fine when you wake up, and you either laugh or you cry. I, just... I was just confused. Really? It's, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm here. That, that's that's weird. Oh. It seems like, um, like, like with comas, there's so much that is isn't understood there's so much uncertainty and there's so many factors in different situations that could be involved that uh we could we could probably talk about uh, a million different circumstances involved with just comas alone but i want to know about 
you guys' thoughts in regards to euthanasia when the person is alive and the person's in so much pain that they ask to be killed. How do you feel about that situation? Well, like we were talking about earlier with, you know, having the whole warrior thing and having the guy reason out with a warrior about death and stuff like that. I think if you can determine someone's at a healthy mindset and you can get it kind of weakly kind of uh, defined or, you know, make sure it's within, you know, legal bounds, let's say that the person is making a rational decision and that this is covered under the law, that even if a person, even if a person is completely happy and has no reason to kill themselves and not suffering or anything, they, it's their body, it's their life. They can choose to do it, to do what they want to do with it. Hmm. I, I, I think it's, you know, it's, why, why stop them? That's kind of like controlling their body against their will. Now, like, like I said, if they have psychosis or some other thing like that and aren't capable of making that rational decision, well, no, they, they, they shouldn't be doing that. It's just like pushing someone out of a, the road if they're drunk or you know, restraining someone if they're about to jump off a building when they're undergoing some crazy mushroom trip. Someone who is happy and of complete sound mind and body is not going to ask to have themselves killed. There has to be a driving reason for them to ask that, like, pain. I, okay. Pain. Pain. Pain, yep. Or you have to look at, okay, so does this person have cancer? Does this person have, do they have a medical illness that only deteriorates them with time? Is there cures? What are those methods of cures? Chemotherapy. Radiation. That actually most people die from those treatments before they can even die from the cancer itself but not all obviously there are success stories but you have to look at what do they have what are the probability and the chances of a quality life and that's we got to get to the definition of what is quality life but you have to look, okay, is this person going to be able to, to, to live or are they just going to be sitting there and hoping to die because they can't, they're in pain, they can't move, they can't do anything? So to be clear, you disagree with my position here. And it, it, I don't, you know, it's fine if you do, we can have a discussion about it, but like, like what is, you know, these are saying pain is differentiator between that, right? So these people are suffering and there's, you know, all these costs and benefits mm-hmm. that you have to calculate out, mm-hmm. but why can't someone who is in, cor- in control of their body is mm-hmm. capable of making rational decisions, not capable of saying, I don't want to live anymore. Because pain does not make, pain makes you incapable of making rational decisions. You do not make rational decisions when you are experiencing pain to the level that you want to kill yourself. But we're not saying this person's in pain, though. I am. I'm saying that nobody wants to kill themselves that's not in some sort of pain. I, I don't know. I could, I could imagine some old people who have had, a, have had a nice life. They're like, okay, I think I've had enough of this. You know, I, I'm cool dying right now. You know, what? that's fine. Well, and that's why people are like, this is... <laughs> then they can kill themselves. Why do they need to go through euthanasia? Well, I'm not saying euthanasia. I'm saying just in general, you know, just killing. A lot of old people, you look, they're on heart medication. They're on some sort of, and that's a huge topic is healthcare for old people. We have so much healthcare or so much medicine out there to help the, to longevity. People are living much longer. And do they really need to? No. I don't think they need to live to be 107, 109. I think once you reach 80s, 90s, even then you're kind of, it is time. So in some cases, not all, why are we giving them medication to help them live longer? And is that really euthanasia? Well, we're not, we're giving them medicine to live longer because they want to live longer, right? Right. So but, these people do. You're arguing that they probably shouldn't, but, you know, they do because they want to extend their lives. But let's say someone doesn't want to take the medicine or someone doesn't want to live like that. Well, and that's or, what or I'm saying. All, and know? that's what I was saying in your argument is they can just stop taking if it's someone who doesn't want to live anymore and they're on medication to help them with whatever issue or ailment. They can just stop and then but they'll why, go by natural attrition at that point. Why can't they just find a doctor to, you know, 
inject them with some uh, morphine, like a you know, because because that's forcing another person to take your life, and that's fucked up. If you want to die, you should handle it yourself. If you're if you're at that that level, you're that sound mind and body. Nobody can stop you. Like that's your prerogative at that point. But there should it shouldn't be a doctor's responsibility to release somebody from their body at that point. That's I wouldn't say it's responsibility. It's a uh, it's 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 something they take up themselves. You know, they would have to agree to it. So it's not something that's forced on them. You know, these doctors would do it themselves and be willing to do it because they understand the motives behind it. Enter Doctor Kavorgian or Doctor Death. He never once injected his patients. He loaded the needle, put it down, walked out the door. And he still got his license pulled and and still jailed for killing people. And I agree with his method and view on that end of, you know, if they don't want to live anymore and the, the reasons all stand there that they shouldn't and it checks out. Here it is. Let me walk out the door. Because it isn't the doctor's job to do it, per se. What? I, I don't know. Because these kind of... I think it would... Hmm. I think it... I think it... As a human being, if you have any sort of sympathy and or empathy, it takes something out of you to take somebody's life, even if it's completely justified. And to put that weight on somebody just because you're done with life is screwed up and selfish. And you should, should you be given the opportunity to do it yourself? Maybe that's, there's great argument for that, but should there be somebody who takes on that responsibility? I, I don't think so. And I actually agree with that. And that's why I say, I think it was very compassionate for Dr. Kevorkian to do that because he went in, he saw his patients, they did some talking. Yes, I want to die. Okay, what's going on? This is going on. Load it up. There it is. Walk out the door and go. Because a piece, there is a human aspect to doctors. They're a little one. It's there, but you don't want to kill that aspect because that's what grounds doctors for the most part. So to be clear here, the difference is in the case where a doctor does this to a suffering person, they can understand on a empathetic emotional level that the person is suffering and that by injecting these drugs that they are releasing this person of the suffering. Whereas in the case of someone who is not sick, when they do that on some kind of emotional level, their brain doesn't get that. that that's the problem that they don't understand on some kind of level that they aren't murdering someone. There's a difference between stopping somebody from pain and just killing somebody because they want to die. And I think it goes, I go further than pain. Pain is a, is a huge reason. It's a symptom. Okay, so here's a huge symptom, pain. What else is there? Okay, and that's why I said then again, you got to look. If they were to live a year now, two years from now, three years from now, um, what is their quality of life going to be? Do they have a terminal issue that's slowly shutting down organs that are essential for life? And that has to be taken into consideration. That's when, yeah, euthanasia sh should be administered. And how it should be administered, I, like I said, I personally agree with Dr. Kevorkian. Just load it up and go. See, I, I, I'm going to go even further on this. I'm going to double down here. All right. So let's say there are negative psychological impacts of, say, killing someone or uh, committing assisted suicide, right? Doing that. Mm -hmm. So let's say there's terrible, terrible impacts on someone's health because it's essentially murdering someone, you know, who is not suffering, who doesn't need it, let's say. Well, let's say we can establish that as a fact, you know, absolute fact. Okay. I still think the person who is administrating the assisted suicide should be aware of that, of course. But if they see those risks and still want to take that action, they should. They should. You know, they should be fully able to take those risks. It's similar with smoking. If someone is smoking, as long as it only affects themselves, they're not smoking in you know in closed environment. They could. They should be able to take that action and accept those risks of those consequences in a similar way. Someone who is going to commit, or someone who is going to administer assisted suicide, if they're aware of the risks, if they're aware this could fuck them up. 
then I don't see why it would be a problem because it's their body, their life. Because the mental faculty faculties of a doctor is pretty important. So if they're going to start doing something that deteriorates their mental health, maybe they shouldn't have their doctor's license anymore. So th th this is hard to answer in general because they do a lot of stuff that, you know, might might deteriorate that. Yeah. And if a doctor's on meth, I don't want him working on me. If a doctor is doing if a doctor is hit on the head and has a concussion and is trying to do surgery, that's probably not a good thing. So if he's doing if he's doing this this action that is causing him his mental capacity to deteriorate based off of the circumstances that you just laid out, which are not proven in any sense, they're, they're more emotional feelings that Brian and I agree on that it sounds like you don't necessarily agree on, but for reasons of argument. And if a doctor's doing something that's deteriorating his mental capacity, then he should not be a doctor. Well, I mean, to what degree as well? I mean, just in general or to, you know, you got to assume that doctors go through a lot of stuff that will, you know, put them through a lot of stress, put them, some, put them through some depression. And even then, you know, would it even be a problem with surgeons? Because there's probably not surgeons. Would it even be a problem with these assisted suicide or that's a turn so so let's say let's say what this is causing is desensitization so so now they're not as broken up when people die so now they care less about people's overall health and that doesn't make a good doctor well i'm not even saying it's a problem of decent i'm not even saying it's a factor of desensitization but rather it's more of a selection effect so for, for instance most surgeons are sociopaths Mm -hmm. They don't feel empathy. Why? Because to cut into someone's skin and do all that, it, it's very, you have to be able to detach yourself from someone's emotions, from someone's feelings. And they, the people who are successful surgeons are the ones that do that. Similarly, if this is, you know, assisted suiciders would have that ability as well because they would be self-selected. You wouldn't have someone who really, really cares about patients and people, you know, doing that. Same as, you know, surgeons. So I have two arguments for that. Um, I'll start with one. We're talking first, we're talking about the doctor having the side psychosis side effects of doing this over time, because that is yeah. one of the factors, correct? Yeah. Okay, enter in this. So right now, um, how the healthcare system is set up for a lot of jobs is doctors, and even um, military have um, assigned therapists and psychologists that actually see them after traumatic ex um, experiences. And to help verify, okay, they're still in a good state of mind. Because as you guys were saying, you don't want a doctor who's had a concussion working on you in any way, shape, or form. Because they themselves now have alleviated themselves from the job, eliminated it, because they can't. They just they can't do it. And, and that's not okay. You don't want that. So that is a thing that's happening right now. There are therapists and um, psychologists that do... Um, reviews with these doctors to make sure they're still in good health standing to do things so just have them check each other out you know what i mean like continue to administrate that number two i am a very emotional person like i really act on emotion i feel for people i i say i feel a lot more than i understand or i agree it's like yeah i feel you i got it and i I'm saying that if I was a doctor, I would be more than happy to help assist in releasing a person. So uh, that kind of shoots that last argument down a little bit because I I feel and I would be if after all they went through all the steps, they had a psychologist look, we, we cleared that out. We saw what was happening with their future. We've confirmed that what they have is chronic and debilitating. I would be more than happy to load up in peace. My issue ne isn't necessarily with people in a lose-lose situation. My issue is with people with in the medium. no reason who mm -hmm. just want to die. And that's suicide, right? Like more of a suicide? Yeah, and yeah. saying, murder me. Okay, so that's more of a, a, a suicide thing. That is a... 
with with something like like somebody where you're taking pity on them you have sympathy and empathy and you, you understand that reasoning versus just like this is a completely normal healthy person they could be a great member of society and they just want to die like there's something there's more there that i think would have a debilitating effect on a doctor who's has to has to administer that than somebody who you can you can understand because there's it's a lose-lose situation but that's a psychological issue that person is mentally not okay that was my argument but nathan nathan pitched a situation where that's not the fact well so this gets very hypothetical here because both of you are proposing that it is you know to want to cure yourself is kind of a mental illness in itself right unless under the right circumstance and having no reason to do so would be you know just just unfeasible it wouldn't exist now as a kind of a medium between these two points i I would say let's make it empirical right so we could put people through some kind of psychological tests meet some kind of criteria and actually determine is this person crazy or are they making a rational decision Now, now of course i wouldn't suppose that someone who is making a irrational decision or someone who is in some kind of psychosis or some underlying problem, you know, that shouldn't be done, right? But with the people who were, you know, they are actually making a rational decision, I think we could determine that. And if we could, it's their life. Okay, I guess I was misunderstanding because I do agree with that. Like you said, there, there's it's case by case. And if they are making a rational argument and you can rule out, okay, there's no depression debilitating depression driving this because you can you can reason that out hormone levels um dopamine all, all all the levels of all the levels all the chemicals show and help decide okay yeah this person has a, an illness so no we we can't administer at this time with illness all right steve j- just to check on something real quick so your issue was the person not necessarily with the person choosing to kill themselves right it's that, that's not so much the issue, but rather the issue is the person who is administrating the the uh, suicide. For the sake of a euthanasia argument, yes. The suicide argument is a completely different argument, in my opinion. I, I think they're similar. It's just different circumstances. So one, you know, the circumstances... Pretty... One involves another person and one doesn't. That's where I'm drawing well, they, the line. They, they both involve people, right? So the difference... So in one case... There's a circumstantial reason for the person to want to kill themselves. They want to kill themselves. They get someone else to kill themselves. And the other instance, they don't really have a reason to kill themselves, or the reason is not so medical, but it's more, you know, just what they want. They get someone to kill themselves, and they kill themselves. You know, it's it's the same thing, just different reasons. Right. And what I'm uh, maybe I misunderstood your question because what I'm saying is my issue isn't with somebody wanting to kill themselves. That's a different argument, the person wanting to kill themselves. The argument that uh, I was having here today was regarding euthanasia, which involves a medical professional taking the life of a patient under their choice, et cetera, et cetera. Whatever the reasoning doesn't matter is is not what the is what the argument is, because that's what it ends up having to come down to is the circumstances. And but I don't the suicide isn't where the issue is. It's the administration for how it's administered because the reasoning matters when you're involving somebody else, like the doctor doing it. If you're not involving somebody else, nobody can stop you. You do what you do. Even if you're mentally deficient, nobody can stop you if you kill yourself. That, obviously, there are ways to physically restrain somebody, blah, blah, blah. But, like, if you're given the opportunity to kill yourself, you can kill yourself. But to be clear here, so someone who is in a circumstance where, let's say, they're, they have debilitating cancer or some other disease that they, let's say, um, let's say, what's that house one? Lupus. Lupus. Let's say they have lupus, right? Lupus? Right. And Sorry, I don't know why I was... So let's say they have lupus, right? And they want to... They want euthanasia to occur. So involving a doctor in that case, would that, would that be wrong or no? Case-to-case basis. Case-to-case basis. But the more it gets to more... The more it gets to less circumstantial 
cases, you know, where it's just kind of the person, oh, yeah, I want to kill myself. It's less and less ethical to bring in someone else. The more it seems that it is a mental issue versus a physical issue with no cure, the more it becomes an ethical issue. Oh, involving someone else. Correct. Okay, okay. Now I'm very clear on that. Okay. Now, one thing I'll just leave when, you know, um, with my opinion, or a little connection I'll make between uh, this topic and Odysseus with the whole siren thing, is I, I think sometimes a doctor has to be the person to strap the patient to the hull of the ship or the mast. And they have to say, you know, you're going to be screaming, you want to go, you want to go to the depths of the ocean to be with the sirens. But just hold on and this will pass. And then you'll be like, oh man, thank you for tying me to the hull or the, the mast. Mm. Hmm. That's a, a great metaphor. This conversation, we didn't, I didn't make any dick jokes. I'm kind of upset about that. But I, I think we, we really dug into something that's really meaningful. It's so complex. It has ethical implications. It has legal implications. Um, and it's it's given me so much to think about. Honestly, it's kind of changed my view overall. I went into it not being too opinionated and found that I, I had quite an opinion about things that I hadn't really thought of before. And that's really the beauty of this show, that sometimes we're talking about dicks and sometimes we're really delving into life and ethical dilemmas. And uh, I really want our audience to connect with us because this has given me so much to think about and I don't think I'm done thinking about it. And I know that what we've talked about is going to continue to swirl in my head. And I'm hoping that other people will reach out to us um, on, if you know me personally or on social media or whatever, and just kind of give your opinions. And then maybe we can talk about this again sometime and, you know, bring up things that we didn't even think about or other people's opinions and together as not just the, the, the three of us, but as a community, you know, we can all really kind of hash this thing out. And when it really comes down to it together, we all need to talk. <laughs>